I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer, and I'm joined by three of my colleagues today, but I'm going to think of them as something as a support group today after um, yesterday's results. Um, we'll start with you, Theo. Theo Squires, how are you? Happy New Year. Yes, my first day back on after Christmas and New Year today. I was hoping it'd be a, a bit more positive, so sure enough, Liverpool go and put in that performance against Brentford, but other than that, all things good considered. Yeah, and um, Sean Bradbury, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Really enjoyed the the late Christmas gifts from from Wout against Leicester. But yeah, crashing <laughs> back down to AF after last night. Yeah, yeah. And last but not Lynch, which doesn't really work, but I quite like the sound of that in my head. David Lynch, how are you? Yeah, you're right. It doesn't work. No, another work. another poor start to 2023 for us all. Oh, I should have said that to Sean. <laughs> Just around. Yeah, how are you anyway? Yeah, it would, would be better if if Liverpool were playing any better, but yeah, can't can't complain too much. Cool. Well, I'll stick with you, Dave. Um, oh, where, where to start yesterday? I've, I've got a, a laundry list of things to go through, but um, I mean, was that the was that the most difficult one of the season yet? Would you say? I I would say no, purely because I think I think the defeats at the start of the season were probably much harder to take, and that they were slightly more unexpected when you're coming off the back of a season where you nearly win the quadruple. Um, the thing is with the Brentford one, you know, probably not that difficult because I think I think everyone could see it coming. Even in even in recent wins, Liverpool been very lucky, not played very well. You know, turned turned a lot of the games into sort of basketball games and. You know, I, I tweeted after the Villa game actually. Um, that, oh, yeah, I often use this podcast as a way to, um, you know, go against my detractors online. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember tweeting after the Villa game saying that, you know, I, I, if if Liverpool keep playing like that, they're going to they're going to pay for it. And I didn't think, you know, and, and that Darwin Nunez's uh, momentum had sort of been torpedoed by the break. And I think in in every game since, that's I, I'd like to think that has been proven true. And I think, you know, I think yesterday was again a little microcosm of that. You know, you have. Chances missed up top, lack of control in midfield, and and then finally this time the the performance got the results it was it deserved really, and and you know Liverpool have been getting away with it for since the restart, and yeah, no real sign of improvement, which is yeah just just extremely worrying, but not not as I say not as surprising as maybe earlier season defeats because it's it's been like this for much of the campaign really. Well, Theo, going to you because I think this question is, is perfect for you really. Um, They've mentioned there that it sort of felt like it was coming yesterday. And for me, Brentford felt a little bit like when Liverpool used to go to Bolton under Rafa Benitez. You sort of knew exactly <laughs> what they were going to do. But each time you went there, you'd, you'd be hopeful that Liverpool's quality would shine through and they would they would put Bolton to bed, really. But it just didn't happen. Brentford played on set pieces, long throws, counter-attack. And, and that was probably the most worrying aspect, wasn't it, Theo, that lessons weren't learned? Yeah, it was all very, very predictable. We can start going back to what Carlo Ancelotti said after the Champions League final, that Liverpool were 
too predictable to play against. You know exactly how to stop them. These are mistakes that we've seen Liverpool make defensively for a long time now. We know it's something that Brentford are very good at. It's something that they exposed Liverpool at last year in that three-all draw. When you think of counter-attacking goals and set pieces, you think of when they beat Man City um, before the break. It was the same thing again, wasn't it? Putting crosses into the box or hitting them on the counter-attack. They've got players with pace. They're a physical side. They're going to challenge in the air at the far post. And Liverpool didn't learn the lesson, not only scouting before this game going into it, but during the game as well. Every time Brentford had a corner for 20, 30 minutes of that first half, it seemed like they were going to score. Sure enough, they, they pretty much did with VAR bailing them out. And then the goal does come. And it's just so deflating. But this is what Brentford are good at. This is what Liverpool are weak at. And you think, well, what have you been doing in the analysis meetings? That You know what they're going to do. You know what you're going to try to do. And it just didn't work at all. It's all gone wrong for Liverpool. And you think they came out of the World Cup break and it was supposed to be, we'll get the momentum back, we'll get some positivity into the camp, new signing players back from injury. But where, where can they go now? Like They signed Luis Diaz last year and he had that amazing impact on the squad. But they weren't relying on him to have that impact. Whereas they now need Cody Gakpo to be superb and have this instant impact to lift everyone. Because there's not really anyone else in there, that squad that can do it at the moment. Like look on a bench, there's no one there. You can think, oh, they can come on and really turn this game around beyond Naby Keita, who, who did well off the bench. But options are limited. Look, starting eleven, all the midfielders are out injured apart from the ones that start. They're basically getting stuck into a corner now, and it wasn't a surprise at all, as Lynch said. Yeah, well, Sean, another thing that, that felt quite familiar in terms of my Bolton analogy was the manager after the game sort of complaining about, not so much complaining, but just hinting that their tactics, they stre- I think he, he mentioned that they stretch the rules and that they're very physical. But the frustration is that with Liverpool is that a couple of years back, Liverpool could, could match up to anyone physically. They were good at set pieces. They were, they'd were they score from all over the pitch. They, were, they wouldn't be outworked by anyone. But how worrying is it that, that they now seem susceptible in, in all areas of the pitch really and, and especially they're getting outworked by teams and Brentford just seem to completely outwork them physically and, and mentally across the pitch Yeah, I, th- I think that's the key point you know, there have been issues all season in terms of individual performances, you know, you saw Trent after the, the Leicester game kind of copping for that didn't he and putting his hand up and saying he hasn't been at his best and that you, you can go through the wall, can't you, Nunes and, and even Salah I'd say could have been a bit more clinical how many times has Alisson had to just bail the defence in general out? But you're absolutely spot on. The key thing is is the midfield and what it's become, really. But last night, I think, I'm sure you guys saw this being shared as well, but when everyone was kind of wallowing in our collective misery at, at the results, quite a few people were retweeting an old video that the club, the official account, put out from, uh, it was November 2019, the, the City game with Liverpool 1-3-1. And I watched the whole thing last night I uh, don't know why I did this at the end of my shift. Probably shouldn't have done because uh, it may be even more miserable. But, like, you know, you had Fabinho just being an unbreakable shield at the, at the fulcrum of midfield and scoring a thunderbolt, um, you know, obviously to, to to open the score. And that day, Wijnaldum was just brilliant, perpetual motion, just, you know, a pretty pretty complete midfield performance. And then you had Henderson still with the legs to kind of force the issue and, and bend the game to as well. But, yeah, it, it's just... You know, without without being too exaggerated, I think I think much of that has, has gone, hasn't it? And and it's it's figuring out whether this this is a purposeful switch that at some point is going to work and suddenly click into gear, but or or, or it isn't. And and I I would side more with 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 the, that argument now that the reality is the club have gone 
a bit too far and they've gone a bit early, you know, towards this evolution, which which perhaps isn't isn't really necessary. And yeah, I think I think you saw that in spades against against Brentford, where you know you've got two midfielders maybe in Thiago and in, and in Elliot who are more more craft and only one doing the graft, and it's just not it's just not the right balance, is it? Let, let's be honest, you, no one could really argue now in terms of Liverpool's performances. I would say pretty much from the start of the season against Fulham, when you know the the best midfield three got a bit of a torrid time and a bit of a chasing right the way up to now, certainly Leicester, certainly Brentford. You know, intensity is not the identity of that midfield anymore, is it? Which is something Liverpool have got to put right. I saw another tweet last night where someone just said, I thought it was a really pertinent point, you know, there was a time when Liverpool kind of relished winning the battles and and that's what you've got to do. You've got to win the fights before you earn the right to, to play your football. And it's like, it's almost like the team are trying to skip straight to that football stage without, without winning the battles and building the platform. And, yeah, it's just it's finding a way to get back to that as as soon as possible. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, you're talking about me midfield there, and, you know, I've sort of got noted down to run through the team and and all areas, but it feels like the place to start, Dave. Um, It feels like... I don't know, in, in my opinion, it's the, the root of all evil at Liverpool at the moment, the midfield, it's causing all the issues. And I think Sean was spot on there in the sense that he said that it just wasn't, the balance just feels off, it's felt off all season. Um, there's been a lot of criticism of Fabinho and his and his form, but it feels like the, the two players around him perhaps don't don't help him too much. Where do you stand on the midfield? You know, do, do they have to spend now? Is it, is it too much of a risk to leave this now to the summer? And, and what do you think of the balance of it? I, th- I think it, well, I've been saying this all season that they, they do have to spend now. I, I, th- I think well, they don't have to spend now, but they will be getting the same results mm-hmm. again and again. I mean, we're, what we're twenty six games into the season now. I don't think are we being knee jerk and saying the midfield's terrible. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think we've seen enough evidence there to suggest that that's the case, and it's got problems in controlling games. And and one of the things that you know, I think the defense got a bit of stick last night. You know, okay, not great around the Brentford set piece defending, but I think. You know, sometimes you've got to just cop for the fact that they're really good at them. That was one of the things Liverpool did really well is he sort of they learned throughout Klopp's reign about how to deal with Burnley, for example. If you go to Turf Moor away, how to do it. And the idea wasn't that you get better at defending their set pieces, although Van Dyke did help, you know, when he was in his absolute best, you know, having that big presence in there did help. But it, it was other things which was, you know, namely not really giving them the free kicks or the corners. Um, you know, and they did that through controlling games through midfield, keeping possession playing safe in certain situations, particularly if you went 1-0 up, always making the extra pass in the build-up to to keep it slightly safer than you would when you were looking for the first goal. And that sort of starved Burnley out of the game and then you couldn't get anywhere near after that. Um, and all those lessons seem to have been lost, but it, it's probably not that they've been lost. It's not that they've forgotten how to do it. It's, it's just that that midfield can't f- provide the platform. And, and, and we've seen now, you know, how many sort of team meetings must they have had how many chats and analysis meetings about how they deal with this and how they get better in midfield we we just know now that it's a physical issue that can't be corrected and i think it was exacerbated by the fact that there's you know tight turnaround between these games over the festival 
superior. They're probably better in terms of controlling elements of the game at Villa than in any of the following games. I would I would argue, even though not you know again miles from perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I just I think it's it's just a long-standing issue that won't be corrected by having to talk about it or Jurgen Klopp saying something in the press or saying something to his players. The, the, the legs just aren't there. That the, these players are short of the physicality needed now because you know a, a certain collection of them have, have possibly gone over the slightly over the hill together. Still incredibly useful, but not not in their absolute pomp anymore. Um, you've got players like Harvey Elliott coming in who I think is a massive talent, but he's, he's a teenager being asked to fix serious issues and, and asked to play in a way that doesn't really suit him at all. Uh, at this stage of his career um so so just you know one player wouldn't solve all this but one top class central midfielder with the physical capabilities and the quality level to play for liverpool would you know it it would step things up slightly it wouldn't turn liverpool back into title contenders winning every game but you know in terms of the top four would be it would be a huge huge help because i i personally don't think they're going to get there unless you do it is that the problem though theo is that you know like dave's mentioned there that the um you know, a top quality midfielder with the physical attributes, you know, they've almost boxed themselves into a corner where that player is just going to be so hard to find in January. And and by not moving, perhaps after they didn't sign Tishimani, um in the summer, they, they're going to find life really difficult, aren't they, in this window, if, they, if they're going to try and find that player? Yeah, they are. It's like they're falling asleep at the wheel, thinking, oh, we've got the numbers, we can get it done, we can get through, and then work to get this deal done when the time was right, that they had enough quality there. You know how much intensity it takes to play in this Liverpool midfield, and that's when Liverpool at their best was when they had James Milner, Genie Wijnaldum, Jordan Henderson, who could cover every blade of grass. They weren't the best players, they weren't the most skillful players, but they did their job so superbly that you'd see the best out of the full-backs and you'd see the best out of the front three that energy there that's gone now that identity is gone so you're left with the back four being isolated defending on their own and you're left with the front three isolated no relationship there and the midfield just looking lost in the middle of the park so you're relying on this big midfielder that can come in and change everything and Jurgen Klopp's basically said the sort of player he wants in the past when he says he wants this um, what six foot two six foot four midfielder who can get on the end of things in one box score goals he can just got that eye for a killer pass but can get back and defense at pieces at the end he basically described Jude Bellingham when he went through this list of things let's be honest there but you know how much that sort of player is going to cost Bellingham if they could get in a position to get him is going to be a club record fee and then even then we have to be in the Champions League to get that sort of player it's not a transfer that is going to happen in January if Cody Gakpo was costing you 120 million, that transfer doesn't happen now. If a midfielder of high quality who's on their list was available for 40 million, they bring him in now. They've gone for Gakpo because that's the one they can get done. Just see what the holes are left in midfield. And then you look at the squad anyway. When you think of what they have to register for a Champions League squad or a Premier League squad with the limitations on homegrown rules, it's just a smaller and smaller field of what ticks the boxes and what could be the answer there. And they don't have the funds to compete with a Man City, even a Newcastle now, where, which is strange when they're the richest club in the world, but they're the ones who are going to be pushing for Champions League. You know, Real Madrid, PSG, they're just falling asleep at the wheel, getting stuck in this hole now. And there's only one way out of it, and that's to spend with money they don't have and hoping that a midfield signing can be the answer. But what players are going to be the solution? If they are in a position where they can sign someone in January, you can make a slight difference. You're expecting it to be more like someone like they did with Artemelo, like they've done in the past with Kabak or Ben Davis, where it's a bit of a gamble, a low budget one, hoping that they can offer something a bit more. But it's not going to be someone you can see as 
long-term answer there. But then maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe they'll find a way to get a big money deal done. But at the moment, when we're all feeling negative after Brentford and whispers from the club are they're not seeing a midfield signing as likely in this month, it's just going to be a long five, six months ahead of Liverpool trying to find to get a way to get their identity back without the players capable of doing it. I, I just to come in on that. I, I sort of resent the idea, though, as well. And I think Liverpool are slightly pushing this, the idea that it's going to be really difficult for them to get someone in who improves things. Because, you know, we all know the contracts that are expiring in midfield at the end of the season and that they're going to need more than Jude Bellingham in the summer. You know, fingers crossed they can get that deal done. And I don't think he's going to be hugely influenced what's going by what's going on at the moment. I still think he possibly see himself as the saviour of that situation, in fact. And that might even appeal to him slightly more. They could come in, but beyond that, Liverpool are going to need another central midfielder. Their options are dwindling in that area anyway. Um, and, and it's like, oh, well, we, we can't think of anyone who could possibly come in for good money. Or, you're not telling me that anyone thought that Genie Wijnaldum would come in from Newcastle for the fee that he did when he did yeah. Yeah. and have the impact in the way he did at Liverpool. You know, if that is that signing not that type of signing not possible anymore? Have, have Liverpool moved away from analytics being influential enough in the transfer business to even suggest him as a potential signing or someone of similar profile? He, you know, they could see his physical capabilities and see what he could be uh, rather than maybe what he was in that moment. Yeah, I just find it incredible, really, that Liverpool are, are saying they, they, it's impossible that they could get anyone in who, who could make it is capable of, of making that sort of impact because they they need to find that player anyway next summer. They they, they have to do it because Jude Bellingham is not enough to just throw him in with a, with an aging Henderson, aging Fabinho, aging Thiago, and just fix everything. You know, he, he could have a huge impact on this Liverpool midfield, but he's going to need some help in there as well. Um, so you know, Liverpool really they just just. Just up it. This is it's not good enough. It was it was a poor decision not to get a midfielder in the summer. Um, just just try and do something to rectify your mistake now because it's it's quite clearly a, a really bad mistake that's you know putting the, the entire season and and the, the project as a whole because of Champions League money and what that's worth. It's it's all at jeopardy now. That's what makes the Artemelo signing even stranger looking back because we know the profile of midfield that we think Liverpool need that will make the difference, that will get that energy back, that work rate back. It is someone like Genie Wijnaldum. Artemelo was just, what, a B-Tech Thiago. And even then, you could be really critical and say as great a player as Thiago is, as he's probably been Liverpool's best player since the restart, is he right for a Liverpool team? He's fine when they're absolutely flying, but when they're in a situation like this, you want them to rediscover their identity and go back to what made them so good three, four years ago. But it seems like over years, they've sort of tried to resemble Man City a little bit. They want to be passing the ball more. It's not more just counter-attacking pace on the wings. It's the players that get on the ball and just control games, pass teams to death, and they're not as good at doing it, and they've lost their way a little bit. So it's like, well, Artemelo, yeah, he could have, if he hadn't got injured, spared a few games for Thiago. But they need the energy there. They need someone who can run and cover legs. You look at Juventus, for example. They've got so many midfielders that will always be linked with transfers or one-to-way players. One of them went to Chelsea and Zakaria. Rabio's always linked with moves. Weston McKennie's always linked with moves. Well, we've just seen McKennie had a really good World Cup for USA. Against England, that USA midfield was brilliant, covering every blade of grass. So that's the sort of player Liverpool need. I'm not saying he's good enough quality, but if you're looking at Juventus midfielders who are available, why do you not look at a Weston McKenney on loan to be the answer there, who can at least run a bit, speak the language, rather than someone who's not really fitting in as a lesser version of a player who's not quite clicking in the same way either? It's just strange. They've tried to become something that they're not and then forgotten what they were in the first place that made them so good in the first place. John, is, is it also strange that... 
Jürgen Klopp's the manager, I think you can, it's fair to say, has always been very good at adapting his tactics to, to the players he's got available and, and, and allowing Liverpool to evolve um, in that way. But he persists with a very, very high line. Um, and we know for that to work, that there needs to be pressure from midfield uh, further up the pitch. There doesn't seem to be that at the moment with, um, with Eddie Elliott and Thiago supporting Fabinho. And if there is, you know, they, they also don't have the physical capabilities to support them at the other end. Is it, you know, Jürgen Klopp said, didn't he, after they signed Gakpo, that he found it strange that people, they sign a player and people immediately ask who's next. But then by the same token, six months ago, he said the press were right and he was wrong to say that they didn't need a midfielder. So is it, if Klopp can't get the player he wants, is it slightly strange that he's not trying to adapt this team and cut his cloth accordingly in terms of his tactics? I think so. I mean, I think it boils down, though, to especially if you're Liverpool or you're Man City, there's always a pressure, isn't it, to evolve and find new marginal gains. You know, just find ways that keep other teams and specifically that that main rival guessing. And as a result of that, I can kind of understand the impulse that Liverpool have had to, I was going to say take shortcuts, but I almost think it's, it's try and fast forward the evolution of the midfield. Um, but... Yeah, you're right. Fundamentally, they now have to accept that that hasn't really worked. I think last season, the, the thing that I've been trying to wrestle with over the last kind of 24 hours is, well, you know, they, they did almost win a quadruple last season. You know, Thiago was, when available, very, very good. And, you know, what is the difference between now and then? Is it, you know, a precipitous drop-off in, in the, the senior midfielders and that type of thing? But I, I think we're, we're right to be talking about the midfield and that's 90% of it. But... There are, there are certain other things that come into play as well. You know, I think a, a midfield that has more of a, as Theo said, more of a Man City makeup, you know, like the, the the slightly more technical players who are looking to be on the ball and, and possess the ball rather than, you know, press and win it back. If if you've got that and you've got someone like Diaz or Jota or perhaps even both of them pressing like mad in, in the forward line, you know, then that really helps as well. And I, I think... If, if those players have been fit for the majority of this season, Liverpool would have been a little bit better off than they are, certainly. But, yeah, I take your point fundamentally about, about Klopp and, and tactics. And it, it's just, you know, the, the, the path that Liverpool have found themselves on has surrendered the essential elements that, that, you know, made Liverpool good when they won the title. I think that's just, you know, a, a fundamental truth. And the, Elliot's an interesting one. I, just to go back to him, I, I totally agree with what Lynch said. I, I think there is... There's a player there, you know, but it's a question of how do you fit him in and, and when is the right time to do so? And I was looking last night at the at the minutes Liverpool's midfielders have played this season and you just have to conclude that Harvey's been overexposed. I think he's played already more than a thousand minutes in the league and you're only talking half a dozen players in the squad who played more than that. So, you know, that's that's an issue and, and that, as Lynchy said, comes down to, to planning and not having enough bodies in the squad who are robust enough to to, to match that or, or play even more minutes. And yeah, it, at this point now, I, I can kind of forgive a, a midfielder not coming in in the summer. I can still see why they might have thought that there was potential to get away with it, especially if all the forwards had stayed fit and been able to do what they were doing. You know, Diaz, especially from January onwards last season, was, was a massive part of just wearing teams down. But, you know, that's not been there and that's exposed Liverpool. The, the, the one hope is that clearly... Chiwameni was was a target over the summer. There's these noises now around Mateus Nunes and you know Paul Gorse written a piece today about 
long-standing interest there and it doesn't sound like he's going to be an option but he, he literally if they signed him now he couldn't play um because of being registered for two other clubs but it does that's the one thing i'm kind of pinning my hopes on that clearly homework has been done on a variety of midfielders you know beyond bellingham in the sense of having extra targets as well as him that's what it looks like from you know outside looking in and we just got to hope that some level of compromise and some kind of deal can be thrashed out this month because I agree with what the guys have said. I think the season ultimately rests on that now. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave, I mean, there are promising elements to the team. I think it's all doom and gloom today because of the defeat, but there are certain aspects that you can you can grasp. But isn't the biggest worry for them this season is that if they do miss out on the top four, there are so many different rivals who are sort of, you know, let's say Newcastle get the top four, then FFP-wise they could spend a bit more. They could You could see them staying there, couldn't you? And then you've got Arsenal who look a force, Chelsea never stay away for long, Man United finally look like they've sorted themselves out. Tottenham, okay, they're a bit up and down, but they've certainly got the potential. The biggest worry, isn't it, for Liverpool is that they miss out now that getting back in could be hugely tough, couldn't it? Yeah, but I, I feel I don't want to go down that route. I mean, missing out on the Champions League is is typically disastrous for Liverpool because, you know, of the way the club is run and that every penny mm-hmm. that goes in, you know, largely goes out in terms of wages and, and transfer fees you can you know i know there's a conspiracy theory that that's not the case but you can literally see in the public accounts that that is the case um you know a lot of the money is getting funneled back into wages or, or and, and and transfer fees so it you know so liverpool need that money the the, the one thing i i would agree with is is arsenal and newcastle getting in there would be particularly disastrous a for you know Newcastle got a load of money anyway, so the sooner they get there, and, and this season would be a bit of a surprise if they got there. It, it would be way ahead of schedule, really. You would say so. Then getting there early would be a, a total disaster for Liverpool because they're never going to be able to keep up with that level of spending as they haven't with City um, and Arsenal. Again, you know, not great news because they have a young core of players who Liverpool would have been amongst the group of clubs who possibly could have picked some of them off. I'm thinking Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, all players of interest who, mm-hmm. who probably wouldn't have signed new contracts if Arsenal hadn't hit on this season in the way they have. You know, they, they look like dead certs to Champions League now, you know, maybe even have a crack at the title. So, yeah, so so not good. The, the, the thing I would say is that, you know, we, we always say, you know, oh, if they get out of the Champions League now, they may never get back in. And then all of a sudden teams find ways of doing it. You would have said Arsenal wouldn't have had a chance of getting back in anytime soon up until this season kicked off. And then, you know, now they're, they're suddenly in the running for the Premier League title. So there, there are ways back yeah. in there. But, but wouldn't you say that that's take, taken Arsenal years to get back in? And it took Liverpool years to get back in when they dropped out. And it took Tottenham years to get back in. Don't, don't you think that, you know, the, the issue is that they, they could go back to another three or four, five, six year plan? I mean, I know that's that's extreme, but but you have seen, you have seen it happen to teams. Possibly, but I, I don't think Liverpool are in that bad shape 
Mm-hmm. I, I think one particular area of the team has been neglected to the point that it's collapsed and it's affecting both, but you know, mm-hmm. both the defence and the attack at the moment. Whereas I think Liverpool, they've still got Jurgen Klopp in charge. They've still got some young players who are, you know, a real chance of making him, you know, look at the ages of Trent and Robertson, for example, mm-hmm. Ibrahim Kanate, Alisson's still in his pump. You, know, you sort out that midfield and in front, you know, Darwin Nunez, you know, I'm sure he's doing a lot of fans' heads in at the moment, but he's still a young player. You can see there's real potential there when he when he eventually gets going. You know, Luis Diaz just added Gakpo. You know, there's enough there to say that Liverpool, okay, if they don't manage it this season, will be back in top four contention next season, definitely. Um, so I, I don't think they'll be as badly set back as Arsenal and, and be stuck in a position where they, they spend years outside the top four. But it would just be easier if they if they could get put a run together and get there. I think that's that's the key consideration. I think you know it's not a huge risk. Surely there's a midfielder out there that fits the profile that is of a reasonable-ish fee that could come in and just add a little bit of physicality in there, a bit of legs, um, and just and you know and, and help out the players that are there because you know although we're saying they're all terrible at the moment and and, and things aren't working in that position, one player in there might just be able to just nudge Liverpool's midfield. You know give give Fabinho the odd rest and then, you know, whenever he comes in, he's a little bit sharper. Same for Thiago, same for Henderson. You know, can we get one game a week out of that trio at a really high level? And then all of a sudden you, you start to put a run together. Just someone who can help them do that and just get them, you know, get them at form that's good enough to get the Champions League. Because let's remember as well that it's not, you know, Liverpool don't need to suddenly buy someone now for the remainder of the season who's going to turn them into a 95-point team. They don't need to win 12 on the bounce from here. You win five on the bounce and all of a sudden you, you're in charge of the top four race. That's all you know. they really need to do is in chunks is, is do that. So it's just someone who can get them in that position and you know, and hopefully they can do that. And then we don't have to consider whether there's a long-term decline in place and, and whether they're going to be locked out of the top four for, for five or six years. This is why where it, feels like, I was gonna say, it feels like a missed opportunity because we're so worked up on what's wrong with Liverpool. But if they were a bit better, you're thinking... Well, this is a great year to win a title. But Liverpool in recent years, they've missed out by a single point to Man City when they've been the best Liverpool side we've ever seen. You've been waiting for Everton to go and do you a favour and take points off Man City. And it's typical that the one year they go and do it at the Etihad is the year where it's no bearing on Liverpool whatsoever. But you look at the league table, Newcastle third, that looks really great. They're having a good season, but they've drawn so many games. Their squad isn't as good good as their position, uh, position suggests. Like They've still got some players there, like Chris Wood, who he's got no right to be playing Champions League football next year. And they've got a few players like this who are they're going to outgrow pretty quickly if they get into Champions League this season and then go and spend big. And they'll stay there, you'd imagine, because they've got the money. It's not like the year Leicester won, where well, they're going to go drop straight back down because their best players will just be picked off. You look at Chelsea, well, they're dropping like a rock, taking so long to... Uh, adapt to life under Potter, but they've got so much money now back in as well. Like, aren't they just going to go and spend, what's it, 120, 130, whatever ridiculous fee it is on Enzo Fernandez, according to the reports at the moment? Tottenham, you're competing with them. Manchester United, these other sides that are in transition. But if Liverpool got their act together, top four had already been sewn up and they'd be competing with Man City. But then this is a year where Man City have already lost two games drawn the three and miles off the pace at the top of the table. It's making the season look better for Arsenal's and Newcastle's. It's only Liverpool had their act together. Uh, it's one where it is a, a big missed opportunity because they've fallen asleep at the wheel, because they've not got the midfielder in. Now you're hoping that you're not falling behind and other teams are taking advantage of it. But because all these other teams haven't got it quite right either, it could mean you get transfer window in the summer, 
you are in that stronger position. As Lynchy said, it's not the be-all and the end-all going to be the end of Liverpool as a force, but they have to get it right in the transfer market so they don't fall too far behind because as much as it's a missed opportunity for Liverpool at the moment, Arsenal and Newcastle are grabbing it with both hands. Isn't that the worry though, Sean? I mean, Theo and Dave have just both touched on it there, is that Liverpool have to get it right because their business model and the way they're set up, a bit like Arsenal who finally got it right, but it's taken them years to do it. They, they have to get it right every time they go for a transfer. And perhaps that explains why they're a little bit careful in, in the way that they do things or very careful in the way that they do things. But, you know, Liverpool, you have to go in the summer and they can't get those signings wrong. Whereas Newcastle, Chelsea, Man City, we've seen before, can buy players and get it wrong and, and just go again. Yeah, definitely. But I, well, two things on that. One, I think you're absolutely spot on what you say about the Champions League and how crucial that is to FSG. But the, the fact that it is, you know, currently in jeopardy does make me think that'll, you know, send the bat signal up a little bit. And regardless of what's happening with them potentially looking to sell or bring on some minority investment, you know, we've already seen Gakbo come in kind of out the blue. And I do, I do wonder if, you know, that that will that could be the the, the tipping point between thinking right, well. Should we push for this transfer now or wait to the summer? You know, I think they they, they might well do that. And yeah, just, you know, in, in terms of the other sides around in, in the league at the moment, you know, it, it, it's like Arsenal, like you were saying, I think it's that they've got that fearlessness and youthful vigour, haven't they, at the moment, that they're, they're not going anywhere in the top four. You've obviously got Man City, who are going to be there at the end of the season. Newcastle kind of wonder, is this the point where they start to wobble? Uh, but no European football is going to be a real big help for them. But I, I think Liverpool, regardless of where they finish at the end of this season, start next season still in the hunt for that. And that goes back to what Lynchy was saying, where two of the main three departments, we're, obviously we're not, we're not concerned about the goalkeeper. Liverpool have got one of the best in the world and he's, he's not going anywhere. But they've managed to recruit ahead of time in terms of the attack. You know, in the attack now... I know we, we briefly mentioned Nunes already. There's, there's, you know, potentially some concerns there. But if, if Firmino was to stick around and sign a new deal, you've got like five, if not six, excellent options. And, you know, it's, it's totally strong. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Getting Kanate in as, as a defender, you know, when they did get him was massive. You know, he's going to be one of the best in the world if he isn't already there, which just, it does make the midfield recruitment seem even more strange in the sense of, ahead and behind of the midfield they they got players in you know b- before other ones had even left in some cases which does raise that question but comes back to what Dave said I think it literally is two or three upgrades or fresh faces in midfield and okay Bellingham there is always that worry isn't there if, if there isn't Champions League football does his head get turned and does he go all right then uh, Madrid it is that is there but there's still so much about the club that and the league that that's a massive draw the manager, you know, himself. And and I think the players that you would be looking to get around Bellingham, you know, the, the extra one or two midfielders who come in to replace all of the other ones who'd leave, you know, your, your Milners, Oxlade-Chamberlain's, perhaps Cater, they, they don't need to be the absolute best guaranteed starters, though, do they? They don't need to have the kind of profile and presence of Bellingham. So I think they would come regardless. So, yeah, I, I don't really worry too much about, about that element of it you know I think Liverpool will, will, will still be a massive draw but obviously getting their act together sooner rather than later is uh, it's just better for everyone and, and does make it all easier. And I want to talk about another couple of positions and, and, and players from the game yesterday so Dave you touched on number four we'll start with Darwin Nunes but before I ask you anything 
first of all, Domino's Pizza, just just stick to delivering pizza. All this banter, I mean, all these social media accounts who are desperate to try and make people laugh, just does my head and stick to pizza, tweet about pepperoni and margarita and, you know, we don't want to hear your, your silly jokes about Darwin Nunes. Same with, Jay, same, same with um, Spec Savers. I mean, they have milked that joke to the absolute maximum. No, no one cares anymore. Think of a new joke and, and, and stick to glasses. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, Dave, Darwin Nunes, he is extremely frustrating. This, this is a player who sort of is on the cusp of being one of the best forwards in the Premier League. But whether it's the offside flag or a guy on the line or or just him missing absolute sitters. I mean, it's, it's hard, isn't it? But it's hard to sit here and, and try and analyse what's going wrong with him because he's so close to getting it right that it, it's bizarre, isn't it? I don't think I've ever seen a a, a worse tale of bad, bad luck for a striker. Yeah, I think some of it is bad luck. I think some of it, you know, needs to sort of improve. I, I think, you know, he is just, as we expected, as we sort of all the scouting reports said about Darwin Nunez, it was exceptionally raw, you know, when he was still at Benfica and you can still see a lot of those rough edges. It was, you know, it was really sort of buoyed really before the World Cup break because I think he sort of seemed like he was chipping a lot of those edges off and he looked really like a rounded player, looked like a real threat. Um, you know, was getting involved in build-up really nicely, he was scoring goals, looked really confident. And then since then, just back to his absolute worst, really, in terms of seems to be in his own head, can't bend his run to stay on side. You know, th- th- there's a skill in that and, and and he's not executing that correctly at the moment. And, the, you know, you can see it's marginal. Sorry? sorry? The offside goal, I mean, as much as he was slightly, slightly unlucky, I also thought he could have been on side there if he'd have just been a bit sharper. He, he yep. called him should have been onside for that goal. Yeah, a, a player with experience can see along mm. the line and they know, yeah. you know, where. To, and also, he's really quick, so you don't yeah. need to go that early. Give yourself an extra yard on the other side and you will still beat 99% of Premier League mm. defenders. You know, it, 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 it's sort of maddening, really, that you can't do that. So, you know, I think that's seen as a bit of a tale of hard luck, but I just don't think it is. It is a skill to stay onside and to time your runs, and he doesn't have that at the moment. And then, obviously, he's finishing when he gets in front of goal is... Uh, appalling at times, really. So, you know, there was one he really snatched at yesterday that he dragged oh, wide, which is just a, a really shocking example of technique, I thought, for a sort of elite level centre forward. You know, that said, it's absolutely right that people are pointing out that, you know, a player who gets opportunities, the, the long term shouting analytics circles will always be someone who's getting shots off that regularly will score goals in the long term. And I have absolutely no, no doubt that that's true. And I think he will iron out these kinks in his game. I think he's got a good manager to sort of sort that out with him um, in Jurgen Klopp. But, you know, you have to say at the moment, the, the talk of him getting the man of the match at Aston Villa for me was a joke, personally. I, I just thought, ridiculous. You can't you can't spurn that many opportunities and, and get man of the match. And, you know, I know, I know he's, he's causing trouble for defenders and things, but it, I think in this moment, you know, He's, he's costing Liverpool in, in terms of, you know, the, the results they got away with it, saying about the poor performances at Villa and Leicester weren't punished. You know, he was part of that in terms of, you know, they, they would it, it would have just been a lot more convincing if he'd have put his chances away. And he, he just isn't doing that. He just doesn't look, you know, you don't feel confident when he gets in one-on-one, which is, you know, not great for, for a centre-forward of his pedigree. So just, yeah, he just needs to, just a lot to work on there. But you know, thankfully, that ability to get opportunities is is a, is a good starting point. And I do think in the long term, I think you know, if he can just get on a nice little run of confidence towards the end of the season, could be really influential in terms of, of turning Liverpool's season around, particularly as if they're just not going to control midfield, they're not going to bring someone in, and we are just going to see basketball games for the rest of the season, then having him just bagging every chance he gets or, or you know, one in every three 
and you know he's getting that many a match, um, then then that would be you know a really good start for Liverpool and would at least help them to to come out on top of some of these end to end games. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, he seems, well, I think we can tell he's, he's an emotional player, isn't he, the way he plays? And whilst we... Um, we we might joke about the likes of Domino's. Is it a slight worry that it's becoming a thing now? You know, everyone taking the mick out of out of um, Darwin Nunes that it gets in his head, and that rather than sort of get better and start taking these chances, he starts to get worse and maybe not having those chances. Um, I'm not even sure if it's getting in his head. Like, does he understand Domino's tweet? How, how good yeah, is his English? Yeah. Sorry, I, I don't mean specifically <laughs> Domino's. Maybe, maybe he follows him. I don't know where he gets his pizza from. Maybe he's a Papa John's man. But, but um, you know, it's just it's the conversation around him, isn't it? Every game that the spotlight is on him. You know, opposition fans are onto him now. You know, I, I think, you know, he, he's becoming a talking point in every Liverpool game, and, and not particularly a positive one. Yeah, it's a strange one because he has so many chances and he does so many good things, but then he looks so raw as well and like he's never played football before in his life. It's almost like the happy Gilmore footballer, isn't it? He's got one thing that he's really good at that isn't suited to the sport at all, but they're sort of trying to make it work. But no, he is a good forward, but he's very raw. Like Lynchy said, it's all season long he's been frustrating with those offsides. It's all season long he's been frustrating with dragging shots wide. But then there's some moments where you think, oh, he's been so unlucky. Like the second Leicester own goal, he does everything right, beats his man to the ball, lobs over the keeper rather than just kicking it straight at him. And he's unlucky that it's come off the post. The one against Brentford where he's gone round the keeper and it's cleared off the line, it's on his weaker foot, it's a dodgy angle. I think he's unlucky there. It's good defending from Ben Mee. Um, some of the through balls just on that one. Sorry, Erling Haaland would have lifted it though. You know, not to you know. I, I, I know that's, that's harsh, but, but it's true. But Erling Haaland is here, isn't he? I mean, I've been Erling Haaland's late. I, I, I think... Liverpool, Liverpool signed Darwin Nunes with the idea of him being an elite centre forward. Surely they don't mm-hmm. think they don't want him to be, you know, sort of the. And I don't say this in a disrespectful way. I mean, any professional football is incredible, but you know, they don't want him to be Europa League level, do they? Liverpool want him to be. Champions League winning worthy. That's why they signed him, surely. I, I take your point, but I, I think with Nunes, Liverpool knew going in, we all know going in, that he, they're hoping he gets there rather than he is there. And, and that's why I, I didn't didn't blame him that much for that one. I think, you know, asking him to lift that is maybe asking a bit much. And I think sometimes you have to praise the defending, don't you? But the one you pointed out before, the one on the right-hand side of the box, and you've talked about as well, Theo, how... I mean, we've seen him do it so many times, haven't we, where he's just... He did like three against Man City, didn't he? Basically yeah, I mean, that exact same finish. And Aston Villa was probably the most frustrating one for his misses, yeah. where he's like one-on-one one and just kicking it straight yeah. at the keeper. Yeah. I've said it on these podcasts before, it doesn't matter how good a goal he scores in a game, you go away remembering the misses. And that, that story, it's still the case now, isn't it? We're remembering the misses, but he's not got the goals there. But surely it turns at some point. Like He has got these relationships building with his teams. He is working hard and you know how much it means to him when he does score a goal. 
uh, it's just something needs to go in. He needs to get a bit of luck. I'm sure it's almost similar to your beloved favourite, Emil Heskey. When, yeah, when he got a few goals. Positions, they worked out for Emil in the end. Yeah, the when he run. scored one, he'd go on a run, wouldn't he? He scored six or seven in a row. But when he went on a drought, it was That's awful. Nine, but what you can take from the positive is Darwin Nunes' I think, first season at Benfica was similar to the extent that he wasn't scoring 20, 30 goals. He was missing chances. He took time to find his feet. And then it all just clicked in that second season. He takes a little bit of time to adjust and you're hoping that happens here at Liverpool. But then if he had come into a Liverpool side that wasn't in transition, where you had Jordan Henderson, Gini Wijnaldum, Fabinho, two, three years younger in a settled midfield, Virgil van Dijk at the peak of his powers, Trent playing at the top of his game and everything just working. He's scoring more goals, isn't he? It's a lot more settled. So it's just one thing's falling apart and everything's against you. Maybe Darwin Nunes just needs one to go in off his backside or something like this. But I think he's got that mentality where it doesn't affect him. He's just created so many chances. If it affected him, he wouldn't be in the box getting on the end of it. Granted, the Aston Villa dummy early on, that's probably the best example of not trying to get on the end of it. Yeah. But normally, he's creating chances. I think Leicester gave you seven shots, and that was pretty much the same as Leicester had all game long. And that is something we've seen every single game. He has so many chances. You'd be more worried if he wasn't there that would be when you think it's affecting him mentally, that he looks for the pass rather than shooting. But he always wants to get on the end of things. He always wants to make things happen. And you just want him to have a bit more composure in front of goal. But it's a bit of luck as well. Like a couple of inches to the other side of the post, he scores against Leicester. Um, there was one where it just went over the crossbar after that brilliant team move with, was it Salah, Keita, Thiago, through balls. He gets an assist against them as well. If Salah can actually finish the one he puts through there. Offside line, if he gets that right against Brentford, he's scored. He, he probably had another chance he should have scored as well, not just the one off the line. There are so many chances that they all merge into one. But as we keep saying, it's going to click for him at some point. He's still very young. History suggests it will. Liverpool scouting reports surely suggest it will. It's just wait and see. And we wouldn't be as worried about it in a normal Liverpool season where Mohamed Salah scoring 30 and everything's fine. But it's just these small margins now where nothing is going right and you need him to make that difference. It's when he's not. So you're hoping second half of the season it can come together. But we're just in this horrible form at the moment. Sure. Well, let's, before we wrap up, does that explain the performance of other players as well? You know, we keep saying it, it's not a normal Liverpool season and, and perhaps all of us agree that the midfield seems to be the big area of issue. But does that explain Van Dijk's performance last night? It was poor. I mean, Simicass, I thought. I thought that was possibly his worst game for Liverpool. And the difference when Robertson came on was just, I mean, huge. But but it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about a player like Simicass as like the, the best backup left back you could buy, was it? Oh, yeah. I think that 90% of the issues stem from the midfield, don't they? I mean, you know, well, we, we as we said on this pod, when, when Liverpool's midfield under Klopp was at its zenith, that was like the eye of the hurricane, wasn't it, really? But then you, you, you see a game like Brentford and, or, you know, like I said before, going back to Fulham at the start of the season, there's just countless examples of where players are just bullying and breezing past what was once the, the strongest part of the side, you know, really, um, in, a, in a physical sense and just, you know, beyond that. Yeah, I, I would I would totally argue that the likes of Van Dijk are being exposed to a bigger degree than, than they have before. But I, I, what I would say is, you know, to, to varying degrees, they've all held their hands up um, certainly Van Dyke, certainly Trent, the ones you would say are the are the kind of most clear culprits who have made individual errors so far this season and said, you know, they need to play their part in it a little bit and improve as well. And 
I think in Van Dyke's case, there was there was no doubt really that, that you know the World Cup must have played the part, wasn't it, in terms of knowing how big a role he was going to play in that, and just when chaotic things are happening around him at Liverpool, it's you know it's difficult to bail bail the team out every week. So yeah, I, I, I think it comes down to that, and and you know just 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 mention the word chaos there. That's one thing I would want to say about Nunes. Like Theo's point was spot on. Like he gets called an agent of chaos, doesn't he? That's you know the the term that seems to have been attached to him, and that he's a bit of a bit of a chance magnet. And there's truth to that. But the chaos that's happening around him compared to the relative serenity that Harlan's got with you know De Bruyne already setting him up. I think he's already got half a dozen assists for him, hasn't he? And you know. I'll go back to Trent. Like Trent got his first assist of the season, I think, in the league, or, or maybe in all competitions. I'm not entirely sure. The, the, right there against Brentford. So you know, when those things start to click better around Nunes, he'll be even better too. But you're right. There's there's there's, there's individual issues, but the core thing is that is that midfield free. And if Liverpool can get that sorted, Nunes, Van Dijk, Simicast, the lot of them, I think we'll have a, a much easier time week after week. Okay, I think the second goal summed it up, didn't it? Like, you look at the first one, the own goal, it's a bit unlucky. The third one, I, I know Klopp's moaned about it, saying it's a foul. It's not. Canate's misjudged it. He's slipped. It's a mistake. But the second one, you've just got let off by VAR. You want your midfield to control the ball, get it down and take charge of the game. What they do is Harvey Elliott was it, does a dummy and loses it straight away in midfield. Your left back then cuts, just doesn't track the run. You look at the steal of it. Van Dijk and Fabinho are marking no one. Canate's caught between two bodies and then Trent's caught between two bodies. It's easy to say, oh, Trent's at fault because he's got caught under the ball at the far post. But that's your entire back four and two-thirds of your midfield there. And you can make that the whole midfield because where's the third midfielder making those numbers at the far post? There's no communication there. So individual errors have cost Liverpool this season. But when you concede a goal like that and it's half your team, all have made something to contribute it. That's where it's going wrong. And we've said that far too many times so far this season. By the way, I thought that third one was a foul. It just wasn't really the point at the end of the game when they would have lost 2-1 anyway. But um, I thought he clipped his foot. But there you go. Um, I'm going to put you all on the spot before we before we say goodbye and just say um, go around you and say, are Liverpool going to get in the Champions League, Dave Lynch? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Leo Squires? I'd have said yes before yesterday. Yes or no? Yes or no? I'm going to be optimistic. Yes. Yes. Sean Bradbury? Yes, just. Yeah, well, my glass is usually half full. It's probably a third full at the moment. So I'll, I'll say yes, just as well. And we'll leave you there. Happy New Year, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully, it'll all progress in the FA Cup and, and put some of those wrongs to bed um, from, from last night's game. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll catch you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.